0: Happy New Year! Welcome to a brand new edition of Rico Bronya. I am back from Disney World. (laughs) It's good to be home. It's good to be in New York. And it does give us time to sit down, take a deep breath, relax, and respond to what was a, a crazy week in Metland. And I say week because when Yamamoto made that decision about a week and a half ago to sign with the L.A. Dodgers, there was a lot of shock, even though we shouldn't have been shocked. There was a lot of anger, even though, what are we really angry about? And then there was that moment of, okay, what the hell do we do now? So as I was riding teacups at Disney World, as I was on Soarin' at Epcot Center, and all the many, many rides that I forgot, that I rode with my kids, I gave a lot of thought to, what the hell do we do next? And we'll discuss that today on the Rico. Plus. I think this will also be a very therapeutic Rico. Over the course of the last week, the Rico Bronya email bag got jammed. A lot of people with reaction to what happened with Yamamoto deciding to sign with the L.A. Dodgers. And so what we're going to do is therapeutically read almost all of the emails we got. Not all of them, because that would take hours, but let's say a decent portion of the emails that you sent in reaction to the Yamamoto decision and what to do next that we received at the ricob at gmail.com. We also received a lot of emails reacting to some of the holiday podcasts, including Best Season in Met History and Best One-Year Wonders. We won't do that today. We'll do that next week. We'll react to some of your responses to that. But today will be a focus on the Yamamoto decision and obviously where the Mets go from here. So let's start off with the very first email we got from Casey, who wrote, I'm officially furious. We knew that Yamamoto wanted either the Yankees or L.A. If we wanted a true shot, it was going to be about the dollars and cents. Cohen had one damn job, offer the most money. He failed. If you're willing to go to 325 for 12, you couldn't go to 350 just to make sure you were the highest bidder. All I'm seeing is the Mets and Cohen did all they could. No, false, BS, offer the biggest contract. If he goes elsewhere, fine. How could we complain? Instead, we're left here saying, of course he went to L.A. You didn't make yourself more attractive than the Dodgers. The bloom is off the road. Sorry, am I crazy? Are we the only ones who knew what had to be done? Merry freaking Christmas, Casey. So here's the semantics game that's been going on for the last week or so. Did the Mets make the highest offer? They did at one point. The problem was the highest offer that they made, the 325 over 12, was not far enough away from the Dodgers offer where L.A. was simply able to say, hey, we're going to match that. And once the Dodgers matched that, Yamamoto obviously had a preference to go there and it was over. And that's why I go back to something I had said a couple of weeks ago. And it was a part of why I wasn't very confident the Mets were going to win the sweepstakes. They were going to have to leave no doubt. They were going to have to win the bidding by a lot. And that's very, very difficult to do when you have other teams also willing to make such huge offers. Like even the Dodger offer before they eventually matched with the Mets was right around $300 million. So the Dodgers are already showing this commitment to offering a huge amount of money for a guy who had never pitched in Major League Baseball. So for the Mets to have made an offer that was unmatchable, they needed to go with the strategy I laid out a few weeks ago shock and awe they needed to be the highest bidder by such a significant margin that the Dodgers were going to unable to match that you were going to have to force this guy to take less money to go to the Dodgers and the Mets didn't do that so semantics did they make the highest offer yeah at one moment they had the highest offer but it wasn't by enough for the Dodgers to say hey sorry we can't go there So I think what Steve Cohen has proven, and this is why uh, the answer always lies somewhere in the middle. The answer to Steve Cohen is he's a big market owner. He's just not the big market owner that we were all dreaming about three years ago. And if your response is, but come on, Evan, that's not fair. They offered 325 to a guy that never pitched in major league baseball. I'd say, yeah, and so did the Dodgers. So he's a big market owner, but he ain't any different than the big market ownership of the L.A. Dodgers, or even to a degree, the big market ownership of the New York Yankees. Does that make him terrible? No. Does that make him a fraud? No. Does that make him not care about 2024? No. That's all hyperbole. That's all going over the top. But if they were going to win this bidding, and I thought this for weeks, that's why when this news came out as I was in the state of North Carolina driving down to Disney, I wasn't surprised. I mean, we should all have expected this. But I understand Casey's anger. I do get that. Howie C writes, obviously disappointing, but who knows? Maybe we dodged a bullet. Maybe the Mets can try to get Roki Sasaki next year. He's only 22 years old and throws 100 miles per hour and had a 19-strikeout perfect game last year. For now, let's try for Jordan Montgomery and Lucas Giolito. Obviously, Lucas Giolito off the board. More on that later. I think any time you miss out on a free agent, we all try to rationalize and say, well, maybe we're lucky. And there are times where we are. I remember years and years ago when Barry Zito was the kind of the apple of our eye. That was the guy we wanted. And the Mets didn't end up getting Barry Zito. And eventually, over the life of that contract, you looked at it and said, wow, the Mets dodged a bullet." I'm not going to be a hypocrite a week later and say, ooh, we're lucky. No. There was a reason why the Mets were willing, and I certainly was willing as a fan, to say, hey, throw whatever you can to sign this guy, because you were talking about a unique talent. I'm not going to rewrite history a week later because I'm pissed off we didn't get him. Douglas Peterson writes, at least it wasn't the Yankees, I guess. Doug then wrote a day later, I'm amending this email, F the Yankees and F the Dodgers too. Here's what's funny about the are we better off it's not the Yankees versus the Dodgers kind of conversation we have as Met fans in the town we live in where our brothers and sisters and our cousins and our friends and neighbors are Yankee fans. Emotionally, we would have been beaten up for Yamamoto to sign with the Yankees. We would not have heard the end of it. It would have been a lot of, How's beggar and better than Steve. Steve's a false god. You guys are fraud. You'll never be the Yankees. Blah, 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 blah. And that would have been harsh and painful and obnoxious and annoying. No question about it. From a competitive standpoint, obviously, we'd be better off with him with the Yankees. If we're going to have any fantasies, and trust me, we will because that's what we do as Met fans and baseball fans. If we have any fantasies about making the playoffs and getting hot, and why can't we be the Diamondbacks of 2024? If we're going to have any of that, then why the hell would we want the Dodgers who are in our league to get better? Why would we want that? Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's a pick your poison situation. If you want to enjoy the rest of the off season, which is a challenge right now, and not have your Yankee fan friends annoy the crap out of you, then yes, we were better off getting the news that he was going to Los Angeles. But come October, if the Mets are fortunate enough and everything breaks the right way, and we're sitting there in a best-of-five series against the L.A. Dodgers or the National League Championship Series against the L.A. Dodgers, trust me, we're not going to be that happy that Yamamoto ended up with the Dodgers. So it's short-term versus long-term. Patrick writes... I'm struggling to find the optimism anymore. The Mets continue to strike out on the biggest free agents, whether they make an offer or not. The Yamamoto News only confirms that, not that I was ever confident in signing him. I fear they're headed into 2024 to be the highest paid 60-win team ever assembled. (laughs) Cohen's money is not moving the needle with free agents. Other teams are getting creative to avoid the Cohen tax. I don't remember feeling this much apathy heading into a season, probably since 2012-ish. I fully expect this season to be over by June. Please help me understand what is going to change headed into 2025 and beyond. They got some nice prospects at the trade deadline last year. They talk about moving Scherzer at the deadline, and 2024 is a rebuild, and the focus is on 2025 and beyond. That's great, but free agents still need to want to play here, and Steve's money isn't enough, obviously. I fear we are headed to the doldrums of 29 to 2013, just with more cash in hand. I think that what the Yamamoto free agency is a reminder of is that the New York Mets for now are going to have to outbid their opponents by a decent amount to get the free agents they want. When you look back at the signing of Max Scherzer, And the signing of Justin Verlander. I don't want to say there wasn't a market for them. There was. But it was certainly not the robust market that Yamamoto had. You didn't have teams as aggressive as they were for Yamamoto. So when you look ahead towards next year. And you eye Corbin Burns or Juan Soto and Shane Bieber. The New York Mets. And this is what Steve Cohen better understand. And this is why I say, yes, he's a big market owner. Yes, he's willing to spend. I don't think he's some kind of fraud but he is going to have to outbid his opponents. Otherwise, why is anyone coming here? We can't be delusional. We can't think because Steve Cohen is cool and he invites people over to his house that guys are going to come here. No, you've got to make it, make there be a reason for guys to come here. And for now, it's not the team on the field. It's not. Maybe someday it will be. Maybe there'll be a time where, hey, it's New York. Hey, it's the Mets. I want to play there. That is not where we are in 2024 or probably 2025. So let's make this very, very clear, because I know we're going to have this conversation a hundred times before we get to next offseason. If the New York Mets are going to sign Juan Soto, if the New York Mets are going to sign Corbin Burns or Shane Bieber, I leave Zach Wheeler out of this because of his connection to the Mets. So look at any other big free agent next year. And obviously Soto is the headliner. You have to significantly outbid your opponent, not slightly outbid them, not to the point where that other team has a chance to match. You know why the Mets never had a chance to match on DeGrom? We always like to create this story that DeGrom didn't want to be here. No, because the Mets weren't even close. Because the Met offer was nowhere near where Texas's offer was. That's what the Mets need to do for free agents. And that's scary because to have done that with Yamamoto, and I I go back to something I said two weeks ago. I stand by it. I said the contract offer I'd make was 12 years, $400 million. Find the tape of the old Rico on that. Or maybe I said it on the fan too with Tiki. 12 years, $400 million. That would be my offer. If that was the offer they made, either he's a Met or he was taking less money to go to the Dodgers. Because ultimately, he didn't take less money to go to the Dodgers. So my answer to Patrick's email is, there's a part of what you're saying that's true, but that doesn't mean Cohen isn't next year going to look at a guy like Juan Soto and say, hey, if I want him to leave the New York Yankees to sign with the New York Mets, I can't slightly outbid them. I got to really outbid them. You got to be a bully because the L.A. Dodgers, and we could talk about their creativity all we want. They spent a billion dollars this offseason. That's not an exaggeration. They spent a billion dollars to sign the two biggest free agents on the market. The two guys we all wanted, or at least a lot of us wanted. That was supposed to be us. <laughs> you know, when Steve bought the team, that was our vision. We were going to be the L.A. Dodgers. Not in terms of winning 100 games every year, though that'd be nice. But in terms of, oh, those are the two biggest free agents? Okay, fine, we're going to sign both of them. The lesson of Yamamoto Is next year, the year after that, you got to go out and significantly outbid your rivals because you're not winning a tie. You're not winning a draw. It's not happening. Michael Shulman writes, the ultimate Yamamoto pivot. Fellas, I propose a pivot strategy. There's one part of this strategy that's already outdated and we'll address it. Number one, trade Jeff McNeil and Kevin Prada to the uh, Mariners in exchange for Logan Gilbert. I don't think the Mariners are making that trade, but nice idea. Number two, sign Lucas Giolito to a short-term contract to prove his worth. Lucas Giolito ended up getting a short-term deal, it was a two-year contract for about $19 million a year, I think it had added up to with Boston, and he has an opt-out after one year. Yes, I would have signed Lucas Giolito to that contract. I'll answer that right now. Yes. Lucas Giolito's value, despite how poorly he pitched at the end of last year with Cleveland and Anaheim is that he gives you innings. Right now, the Mets need that. I mean, they need a few things in their rotation, but they need that kind of innings eater and G- Giolito's that. And I would have taken the risk on, I think he'll be the guy from the first half more than the guy from the second half. And that contract he ended up getting, totally reasonable compared, co- compared to you know, what other pitchers are getting. I mean, look at what Frankie Montas got from Cincinnati. Look at even what Luis Severino got from us. So I would have had no issue with that, Mike, but obviously it's gone. Number three, bring in Tim Anderson for second-base duties. I'm not against that. I think one of my formulas for this offseason is go get guys on prove-it deals. Luis Severino fits that. Tim Anderson coming off one of the worst years you could have would absolutely fit that. Secure Jorge Soler for left-field DH roles. And finally, trade Mark Vientos and Drew Smith to the Cleveland Guardians for James Karinche. All right, not bad. Strategy aims to create a six-man rotation, primarily composed of two- to three-tier pitchers, with Sevi, Senga, Gio, and Gilbert showcasing considerable upside. Team excelling in starting pitching innings often contend strongly. Anderson and Soler not only offer athleticism, but also provide protection for Pete. Karinczak's presence as a top-tier eighth inning option strengthens our bullpen. You are right that all of those things are still aspects of this team they need to address. They need a designated hitter. They need a left fielder. They need to add two bats. They need to add a more reliable arm in their bullpen. And obviously, they need starting pitching Because right now, their rotation is not good enough.